So we've been in Titus and we've run up on a couple things that in the, in the past, maybe we've sort of skirted around quickly and we didn't dwell on a lot, but we bumped into this word elders and we spent some time talking about that and I pray that you're wrestling with that. I pray that, that you're not just discrediting it because it's something that it's not, it's not natural for us. I hope that you're really wrestling with that and we're going to come back to that and as promised, we're going to leave that sit for a little bit, but in 2022, beginning of 22, we will come back and we're going to pull in First and Second Timothy, we're going to revisit Titus a little bit and we're going to pick that idea back up of leadership, of what the church should look like, what membership should look like so that the body of Christ can be all that she's supposed to be for the communities in which she's situated in, for the world in which she's called to go into. Uh, but we're going to back up a little bit. And we're going to put a temporary bow uh, on Titus. We're not going to double knot it or anything because we don't want it to be too hard to get back into uh, in the new year. But we're going to sort of land the plane today because next week we are going to start our Advent series. And when you walked in, you should have received uh, a couple cards. Uh, and uh, I apologize, the back is a little bit hard to read. Um, buy a magnifying glass to accompany these. But these are to serve as invitations for you to use. And our Advent series actually starts next Sunday with an introduction and then continues throughout December. If you have friends or family that desperately need to hear the gospel, this is your chance to invite them. We won't be talking about church structure, church leadership, any of that, th any of that uh, uh, other things that is important for us, but we're going to be focusing solely on the gospel of Jesus Christ in our Advent series. I'm going to kick it off, and then the week after that, Scott's going to preach. The week after that, Tony Postawade's going to share with you, and then we will wrap it all up uh, together right before Christmas. And to do this, we're going to sort of take a different route, uh, because we're going to use uh, Revelation chapter 12 in order to tell the Christmas story. And I don't know if you've ever read Revelation chapter 12. You probably, I hope you have. Maybe you haven't read it thinking about this is what was happening at the birth of Jesus Christ. I encourage you to go back and read it. If you notice, we left a clue for you on the invitation. Oh, holy night. Everything looks peaceful, but there's something lurking. And that's what we have to be ready for. So we're going to talk about three gifts um, that because of Christmas, because of our King coming, we can celebrate and we can receive in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua is coming very quickly to the end of his life. In fact, in Joshua 24, verse 29, it says, and, and he died. But right before he dies, he is talking to his countrymen. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with Joshua, he is the leader after Moses. He took the reins uh, from Moses and led the Israelite people into actually realizing the gift of the promised land. Moses got them up to that point, but he couldn't take them in. Joshua took the baton and carried them into the promised land. And he is talking to his countrymen one last time. And he's reminding them of all that God has done for them. And the covenant is actually renewed in these verses of Scripture. And in the Scripture that we read, that you probably, if you've been in church for very long, have heard over and over and over, as for me and my family, we're going to serve God. And it's interesting to look at what comes after that. Because then, uh, if, you, if you look in Joshua chapter 24, uh, he says, as for me and my family, we will worship Yahweh, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, it uses Yahweh instead of the Lord there. And the people said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We will certainly not abandon uh, the Lord. We will not, or worship other gods. 
And if you know anything about the Israelites, you can see why Joshua sort of picks up in this a little bit. And they go in this little conversation. And Joshua says, you will not be able to do this. And the people are like, yeah, we can do it. We can do it. Joshua says, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to get away, get rid of all the other idols, all the other gods of your fathers and the Amorites. You're going to have to do this. And the people are like, oh, yeah, we will do it. So Joshua, I can just see going, okay, I know enough. I know the routine we've been in. I know the cycle we've been in. We're just going to leave it here. And he erects a stone under an oak tree to serve as a reminder. Now, the Israelites were big about these type of memorials, these type of uh, stones of remembrance. Scott talked about it last week. Um, They took 12 stones out of the Jordan River to say, hey, when your grandkids see this, you can tell them what God did. This stone of remembrance is to be there to remind them of this conversation. You said you could do it, and you couldn't do it. So it was to point them back to the fact that they constantly had to reorient themselves on their God. And he posed that with the question, you got to choose. Choose this day. Well, we see that this idea of, of choosing is a central theme in Scripture. We see successes and we see failures in God's people choosing the right thing and choosing the wrong thing. You can go through the book of Judges and you can see this cycle and you almost get dizzy following the Israelites and they're, they're, they're relying on God and they're turning their back on God. And over and over and over, we see the, the failures, we also see the successes. We see men like Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who are able to say, we're going to stand for God no matter what. We believe he will deliver us on, from this, in this life. But even if he doesn't, we're still going to have our faith in him. We're able to see the success stories in that choosing. You can go to Jesus, uh, and, and he himself says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve God and mammon or God and money. You've got to choose. You've got to make a choice. You, you can see the, the, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 as they're standing before the, the Jerusalem council and uh, the, this religious council that's, that wants to throw them in jail. And they're telling them, you guys got to be quiet. <laughs> you got to quit sharing this Jesus stuff. Peter and John says, mm, you can tell us what to do, but we can't help but to talk about what we've seen and what we've heard. They chose properly. And we've been, we are asked to choose today. So today, as we look at this section of Titus, as we, as we sort, of, sort of wrap it up and sort of leave it there, uh, ready for us to pick up again in, in 2022, I want us to look at this through a specific set of lenses, or like we did a few weeks ago, as if a mirror. So you have in, Gen- in Titus chapter 1 all that we have talked about so far that Paul left Titus in Crete to set things right, to appoint elders, to appoint the right leadership. And he says, and these are what these guys need to look like. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. And today we see the reason why. And there's this list given of things. This is why, this is why you need to have the right doctrine. This is why you need to have the right leadership, because things are at stake. And we're going to look at a couple different lists today. And as we look at these, what I want you to do is I want you to notice the characteristics of the people in these lists, because that's important to us. So you'll notice that there's some big churchy words, big theologically rich words um, in, in Scripture, like when you get down to verse number 10, 
you have that big word for, F-O-R. You need to have the right people, you need to have the right kind of people in place for, because of this. So, the first choice that we have, because we really only have two choices, church. The first choice that we have is to see ourselves in this first paragraph. Look at what Paul, how Paul describes these people who, and this is the reason that we need godly leadership in, in place. He says in verse number 10, For there are also many rebellious people, full of empty talk and deception, especially those from Judaism. It is necessary to silence them. They overthrow whole households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. One of their very own prophets said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So rebuke them sharply that they should be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of men who reject the truth. To the pure, everything is pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. In fact, both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. To that we should say, ouch. This is why, God, why Paul is saying, you got to have right doctrine, right leaders. Now, I want you to look at this list a little bit. Right? Look at the things that are included on here, like insubordinate, right? We'll put that in our terms, rebellious, right? Empty talkers, deceivers, liars, evil beasts, brutes, lazy gluttons, devoted to myths, devoted to popular culture. Their minds and their consciences are defiled, deny God with their works, detestable, disobedient, unfit, disqualified for any good work. Now, we can add to this a little bit without even leaving the, the, the letter of Titus. If you flip over to chapter 3 and, and you go down to verse number 9, Paul sort of adds to this list. He, say, to, he says, but avoid foolish debates, genealogies, quarrels, and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Reject a divisive person after the first and second warning, knowing that such a person is perverted and sins being self-condemned. And we can expand that to the, to the New Testament, and we can, we can add all kinds of other things in there that we're to flee from. Sexual immorality, he doesn't say uh, get a few steps away from it. No, he says flee in the other direction, get away from it. We can add gossiping and addiction and materialism and murder and coveting and abuse of all different shapes and sizes. And he's saying, flee, get away from this. Don't have anything to do with this. Scripture in its entirety says, you, you are to be a holy people, a, a, a royal priesthood. Holy means to be set apart. You're to be peculiar. You're to be different. Get away from this. And here's the point of this. That if you look at this mirror and you see yourself in this mirror, if you see yourself on this list or from Titus chapter 3 or from all of Scripture, if you see yourself on this list, you are lost. You have sinned against the perfect creator. You have wronged the perfect redeemer who came to die for you. And while you're lost, I want you to know today that there's good news. There's good, good news for you. 
But before we get to that good news, I want to look at another list, and then we'll circle back around. Because in in, in Titus chapter 2, you see another big word there, but. And he says, okay, this is why you these are these are why the leaders need to be on high alert. This is why godly leaders and godly doctrine need to be in place because of these people that we just looked at. But then he says, but you must say these things that are consistent with sound teaching. And then he gives us another picture. He gives us another set of descriptors. And, and he says, older men, right? Everybody pay attention here because there's something for everybody in these verses. He says, older men are to be level-headed, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, homemakers, kind, and submissive to their husbands so that God's message will not be slandered. In the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will be ashamed, having nothing bad to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of the God our Savior in everything. Look at this list. Do you see yourself in this list? Sound in the faith, level-headed, worthy of respect, sensible, reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine, teach what is good, training and encouraging the younger, self-controlled, Pure, family-focused, kind, submissive to proper biblical authority, examples of good work and integrity and dignity, utter faithfulness. And just like with that first list, we could go to Titus and across the New Testament, and we could add to that other characteristics, other identifiers of people, of the people of God. Be generous, be hospitable, be compassionate, have a strong prayer life, give sacrificially, live sacrificially. All of these things should be identifiers of believers. But here's what we need to realize, church, that these attributes, while good, do not make us good. They do not save us. These are attributes of, of someone who has been saved, They're not identifiers of someone who has achieved redemption through their own efforts. No. These are the characteristics of one redeemed by something outside of themselves, by someone outside of themselves. If we chase after these characteristics out of our own strength, out of our own knowledge, out of our own will, then it's going to lead to legalism, burnout, and a fake faith, a fake religion. It's only through the Spirit's power and direction and His effort that we can be transformed into a new creation. So if we look at this list with even the smallest pretense of saying, I got this, I've arrived, this describes me, I've done a good job of making myself righteous, I've arrived, God has no choice now but to deem me as good enough for heaven. If we come to this a section of Scripture like this with that mindset, we are coming at it wrong. 
Because we must see here that if we are living that type of life, we are no different from those false teachers that were described in chapter 1. You see, sometimes we treat our faith like a get-out-of-jail card. (laughs) I say, yeah, I believe Jesus. I need him to rescue me. And then we stick that thing in our pocket until we need it. And then we pull it out. And we use him like a monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card. You guys know that, that this staff, uh, Scott and I, uh, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who, who's a, a hero of the faith for us, uh, someone that we can look at um, and, and see how he lived out his life amid persecution and, and being uh, and tortured and captured for Christ. He shares this, and this is on the, the screen for you. He talks about this idea of cheap grace that we far often adopt as believers. He says, cheap grace is grace that we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus living and incarnate. He says in another place, he says, what happens when when Christ calls a man? When, When Jesus gets a hold of somebody and when he calls him in, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and to die to die to the old self. and, and it, it, So it's not a cheap grace. It's not a get-out-of-jail card. If you look at a section of Scripture uh, like this and you see yourself in this list or others that we have, have looked at and, and you, see it, it, you see it in any other light than what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, you're seeing it through the wrong lens. You're taking a wrong approach to it. And church, just like I said to that first list, because I believe Scripture teaches it, that you're lost. If you approach a section of Scripture like this with a self-righteousness, with a legalism, with a I did this on my own accord type of mentality, I'll say to you, you also, you are lost. And that's not Tony Foreman. That's not Tony Foreman's opinion. But in do, because in doing so, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to others. You, you're, you're promoting this version of Christianity that isn't Christianity of all, at all. It's a works-based religion that, that we should have nothing to do with. And we see this all throughout Scripture, right? Uh, you, you see stuff like faith without works is dead. You, you see things like you can't serve two masters. You, you, say, uh, you see a tree is known by its fruit. If we proclaim with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, if we, if we say, hey, I, I, I need you to get me out of hell, I really don't want to go there, but our lives don't back that up, our lives are not transformed, the gospel has not gotten a hold of us. We have not become heirs of the kingdom. I mean, Jesus himself said something like, A branch that doesn't bear fruit, it's cut off and thrown into the fire. Church, we have to hold on to the fact that we bring nothing to the table. And whether you find yourself in in that that, that obviously evil list in chapter 1, or we find ourselves tucked in and, and hiding behind good works because we think that those good works secure something for us, we are lost and we are in need of a Savior. But then we come to to verse number 11. Chapter number one list, 
chapter number two list, right? This is the reason, because or for. You see, we think that there's, a lot of times we're guilty of thinking that we can earn ourselves. There's another way to, to, to God. No. If we believe the words of Jesus, we should go to John uh, chapter 14 and we should look at his words where he there says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one's coming to the Father except through me. And that we see that here. He, he's saying, yeah, whether, you're, whether you're living a life that's in direct opposition to God or whether you're living a good life absent of the grace of Jesus. He starts that next, next in that next section with the word for. Or maybe your Bible says because. I've told you that there's two powerful pictures of the gospel in the book of Titus. This is one of them. If you were going to commit any part of this book to, to memory, it would be these verses and a few in chapter 3. And listen to what Paul says here. He says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, he says, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people instructing us to deny godlessness and, and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope and appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. You see, for all of us, the good news for us is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm encouraging you this week in the one sheet to read through this section of Scripture scripture, and make a tally. Keep score of who's doing what in these gospel presentations. It's a lopsided victory for Jesus. Notice the things. For the grace of God appeared. We didn't do anything. He appeared, instructing us while we wait, he gave, he redeemed, he cleansed. Notice what he, skip, notice what he does. Skip over to chapter 3. And while this section of Scripture, this gospel presentation starts, or summary starts in verse 4, it's, it, it's important for us to go back to the beginning of that, that, that paragraph there. And another key word in this, wor- in this verse, in this chapter, remind Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. That was us. Verse number four says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the, by the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through, the, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This is what Jesus does for the lost. This is what Jesus does for the dead. He finds them, he saves them, he recreates them, he brings them to life. So it doesn't matter what type of background you have. If you think that your, your life, your history discredits you 
from ever from Jesus being able to reach you and redeem you. No. That first list tells you that you are not beyond the grasp of Jesus. Your sins cannot lead you to a point far enough away where God's love cannot track you down, tackle you, and change your life. And if you, find, if you think you've lived a good life, and you have lived a good life, but you're living that void of the Spirit's empowerment, void of the grace of God, he reminds us here, you too need the blood of the Savior. You too need somebody to come and to rescue you and to redeem you. I, the words that, that, that Paul uses are not just coincident, but for remind. Grace oozes in this letter. Adorning the gospel because of the lives we live comes after the fact that we have been redeemed out of a life that is, in, lives in, that is lived in gratitude because we have been redeemed. Jesus is only glorified in us when he's the one making us new, when he is the one driving our desires, when the Holy Spirit is directing uh, the course of our life. It doesn't matter what our sin looks like, whether it's egregious or whether it's a, a, just a little thing that's hidden behind a good life that we're trying to live, whether we see ourselves on the first list as those cretins, as those evil uh, gluttons, or whether we see ourselves in the second list, void of Jesus, you need to hear the call of Jesus for your life today. Paul says other places, Romans 10 for 13 is one example. For those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you made him the master of your life? I want to encourage you today, especially if you're the one, one sitting here who, who thinks, yeah, I'm good. I'm in good shape. I'm going to challenge you. Does your life on December 21st, 2021 look markedly different than it did 20 years ago, 10 years ago, two years ago, a month ago? A tree is known by its fruit. Are you bearing gospel fruit or have you treated Jesus as a get-out-of-hell-free card? Joshua said to the people that he loved, to people that he'd led for, for, for years and years, you've got to choose today who you're going to follow. Church today, why continue down a road that leads only to death and destruction when the way, the truth, and the life is right in front of you. Today we're going to look at the cross. And as we do, I want you to compare. I want you to, to look around at what the world has offered you and look at what the cross has done for you. I want you to, to look at how the world has broken promise after promise to you. Then look at the, the promise that was sealed with the cross. I want you to look at how the world has lied to you and misled you and led you down paths that uh, are tough to get back on your own accord. I want you to look at the cross and all that it accomplished for you.